0: Welcome to the Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host.
1: Hello and welcome to the Beacon podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm
0: Karen Baldwin, your host for today's discussion on successful strategies for legacy giving. Our guest today is Lisa Shimola, founder and chief philanthropist at Philanthropit. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Karen, great to be here today. Lisa has more than 20 years of experience in philanthropic development. She started her career in events-based philanthropy and since then has served in major gifts and gift planning roles in both public and private education and religious institutions. As Chief Fablanthropist in Fablanthropy, the intersection of fabulous and philanthropy She works with nonprofit organizations and fundraising professionals, providing consulting, training, and coaching services, particularly in legacy-giving strategies. Again, Lisa,
1: welcome. We're pleased to have you as a guest with us here today. Absolutely. I am looking forward to diving in and talking about legacy-giving strategies. It's a particular passion of mine. Well, let's jump right in and do it. So tell us
0: what legacy giving is and why it's important to both the organization and to the donor.
1: Sure. Legacy giving is really that ultimate expression of the relationship between a donor and an organization. When you think about the most meaningful investments that a donor can make in a nonprofit It's often through gifts in their legacy. And when I say legacy giving, I'm talking about those gifts that are deferred out of their estate. You'll notice that I don't say the words planned giving very much because I feel like that limits you in a way to only thinking of that kind of giving, whereas a full legacy and gift planning strategy also involves gifts of current assets. And I'll definitely share some information about that in a bit but what makes this kind of giving important to the organization is it represents future sustainability and that longevity you are imagining with the donors the future of the organization long beyond the time either of you are going to be there to impact that and then to that donor it is that way to keep making an impact long after they are here to make gifts themselves especially if they're making those legacy gifts to an endowment in your organization, their philanthropy is going to benefit those who benefit from the work of your organization for a long time to come. What are the biggest obstacles
0: an organization faces when it comes to starting or
1: making the most of a legacy giving program? I think in a lot of organizations, and I know I experienced this as a frontline fundraiser myself, it is very easy to put those legacy giving strategies to the side. You're busy raising money for the day-to-day operations. You may be involved in a capital campaign, and it's very easy to think, oh, legacy giving, I will deal with that later. If a will shows up in the mail, I will take care of it then. And it's absolutely, and I think, For sure, in the smaller organizations, and I've worked both in small and large organizations, so I've definitely experienced both sides of that. But not giving it consideration, I think, is one of the biggest obstacles. I think alongside that, it's not ensuring that your organization has a solid base of philanthropy before you do dive in deeply to these type of strategies. You want to make sure that you have solid donor relationships. You want to make sure that you have a good annual effort, that you are moving into those major gift and campaign type of opportunities to really establish these legacy and lifetime gifts. And then finally, I think one of the other huge obstacles is if an organization does not have a gift acceptance policy or if the staff and board have not reviewed that in recent years. If that is the best practice, the guide to what is accepted in an organization. If a donor comes up to you and says, Will you take my Bitcoin? Your gift <laughs> acceptance policy helps guide you. And it really gives you and your volunteers and your leadership that ability to say, Yes, we do, or No, we don't. And it's policy and it's no longer personal. And then you also need those procedures to go along with that about how you will actually accept those different gifts, particularly of assets.
0: Will you outline for us what a successful legacy giving
1: program looks like and best practices? Absolutely. Whether or not you have a formal legacy giving program or even a legacy giving society, I feel it's important for every fundraiser to know some basics of deferred giving, to learn about bequests, to learn about beneficiary designations, both from retirement accounts and from insurance policies. Those are the most common types of deferred gifts. And every year, year in and year out, Giving USA shows a solid 9 to 10% of giving comes from bequests. So, being able to at least be able to help a donor if they contact you for the language to go into their will, if they'd like to include you in a bequest, and quite frankly, putting that information on your website, along with the name of your organization, the proper name, your address, your tax ID number, because for every legacy gift a donor makes you aware of, there could be anywhere from three, four, five, seven others that you don't find out about until after the donor passes away. It's a different kind of giving. So you do want to, while of course we would love to talk with every donor that's including you in their estate, Some of them are just going to do it and they will never tell you and it will be a surprise. So you want to make it easy for them and their attorneys as well to do that. It's also important, we've talked a lot about deferred giving, but I also want to come back to gifts of assets because when you start having conversations about this long-term giving, it also encourages donors to think about giving for more than just what is in their net income, especially things like appreciated securities or if they're old enough to make qualified charitable distributions, and they have to be at least 70 and a half to consider that, those are other ways that they can make gifts to you. And those are current dollars in your organization today, but they are not writing a check or putting it on their credit card. And I think lastly, it's important to keep best practices in mind. These have been encapsulated very well in the national standards for gift planning success. This is something that's available on the National Association of Charitable Gift Planners website, and it's free to the public. And it covers all of the best practices, everything from making sure that you have support from the top, both your board and your staff leadership, clear direction on where your organization is going in the future, and focusing on being donor-centric, because these are the type of gifts that really take time to cultivate. They can take years. The largest bequest notification I worked on took almost four years from start to finish. So I would encourage uh, listeners to visit the charitablegiftplanners.org website and take the assessment. They actually have a free assessment available and you can determine where your organization is in preparing to embark on a legacy program or to revamp your current program.
0: Thank you. Well, we've come to the end of our time today, Lisa. Thanks again so much for sharing with us your terrific insights. To our listeners, you can connect with Lisa on LinkedIn and find Fablanthropy at fablanthropy.com. Thank you for listening. Once again, I'm Karen Baldwin. We hope to see you next time on The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. Thanks for listening to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcasts and guests at lighthousecouncil.com.